0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, interpret for us that we might know your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was in Budapest a couple years ago with my son, and I needed directions. And all their street names, by the way, believe it or not, are in Hungarian. And so I opened up my Google Fi app, and I spoke the street name in my possible best Hungarian accent popped up with an address, and I was just getting ready to set off when the man next to me, who was Hungarian, said Nem, which is their word for no. He had told me I had misspoken the name, and it was going to take me far away from where I really wanted to go. He then took my phone, re-spoke the address, and sure enough, it gave me a completely different set of directions which took me right where I needed to go. Later that night, I went back to the original directions and was looking at the area that I would have gone to. And let's just say, I'm really thankful for this individual because it would have taken me to a place that was not very tourist friendly. Preachers get to wonder out loud about the Bible, faith, life, and the puzzles of the universe. And we get to draw people into conversations about all those mysteries. So I was in a Bible study once. I was not the leader, and we were there. We were studying the Gospel of Mark. We got to the first chapter, 29th verse, which is our text for today, which is about Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law and then her getting up and making everybody lunch. You know, the Bible study leader was going to move on because it's a pretty straightforward verse, not much to really say about it until this woman very, very loudly says, typical man, can't even take care of his own self, has to get a woman out of bed who's sick in order to make his lunch for him. Wow, all of us were kind of like, where did that come from? And the the silence kind of hung and we thought, okay, but we're going to move on now, except then a man from across the room, he turned and he says, well, that was her job, wasn't it? Well, the rest of the Bible study, the whole hour was basically spent listening to these two go back and forth while the Bible study leader tried to get a word in edgeways and failed. Now, it didn't take much to figure out where both of these individuals were coming from as they were interpreting the verse. Normally, you can't argue with someone's opinion. After all, it is their opinion. But when it comes to the Bible, we don't get to decide what God is saying or doing or meaning. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says, no one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. Now, this is why Jesus went back to heaven. He went back to be our intercessor. So whenever we mess up, He can forgive us. It's also why God sent his spirit into our hearts so that he can explain to us what we need to know. You see, we always need a lot of explaining when it comes to God's word. So in 1925, Albert Einstein shared his core principles with a student. This is a well-known quote, but usually they trim it down to just one line. It's it's actually a lot more than that. He, He told the student, he says, I want to know how God created this world. I'm not interested in this or that phenomenon or in the spectrum of this or that element. I want to know God's thoughts. The rest are just details. One of the most important reasons we study the Bible is to understand the heart and the mind and the soul of God. In John 14, Jesus says, the Father will send the Holy Spirit, who is the counselor, and he's going to send him in my name. And the Spirit will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have told you. All those words were spoken directly to the apostles. They also apply to us. Paul continues his uh, teaching in 2 Corinthians 11 with, You know, we speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. 1 Chronicles 17 is a great illustration of this. This is what it says. When King David had settled into his palace, he said to Nathan the prophet, Look, I'm living in a cedar house while the ark of the Lord's covenant is under a tent curtain. And so Nathan told David, Do all that your heart wants, for God is with you. Now, Nathan is a prophet of God. David, by the way, is God's anointed king. So it seemed like a slam dunk when David says, I want to put God in a house even bigger than mine. And all of it was going well until God blocked the shot. You see, that night, God came to Nathan in a dream and he said, No, no. I appreciate David's offer, but I rather enjoy being with my people. And besides that, there's been way too much bloodshed in the last two, a few years. And so there's some other things that are far more important. We need to rebuild the people and the nation. We need to take care of them before we build a house because I'm okay in the tent. Notice how all this played out. Now, David felt guilty since he was living in a palace while God was living in a tent. The prophet Nathan also assumed that God would want a huge building with all the trimmings. There really wasn't anything wrong with either what David or Nathan was thinking or wanting, except that God had something different in mind. And in this case, it was something so different that God actually intervened, spoke directly to Nathan who went and spoke directly to David so that there would be no misunderstanding. You see, God actually does want us to know what He's thinking. Preachers get to wonder out loud about the Bible, faith, life, and the puzzles of the universe, and the purpose of these wonderings is not so that the pastor can sound smart or holy or even creative. The purpose of such wonderings is so God, working through the Holy Spirit, can convict His people of their sin or turn them around when they're headed in the wrong direction and then pour out His grace on them. See, this is the law and the gospel at its finest, dragging us away from our sins and lostness and drawing us toward the heart and the mind of God. So, have you ever said, I wonder what God thinks about all this? It's actually a very good question. Sometimes there is a very clear answer in the Bible. In other words, I wonder what God thinks about, and it says right there, this is what God thinks. But... Other times, we can only find the answer by studying what God said or what he did in the lives of the saints. In other words, there's no specific correlation. We actually have to dig around. It's why, by the way, we study the whole Bible and not just one little verse. See, this is where we need to introduce some variables in this holy process. First, the Bible was originally written in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, which means if we really want to know exactly what God is thinking and saying, we're going to have to know those languages, but not just the languages. We also have to understand the culture of the time, which was uh, Middle Eastern, but not just Middle Eastern, but ancient Middle Eastern. Since most of us don't have that expertise, we tend to turn to commentaries and translations which unfortunately introduce biases, culture, and feelings of the people or person, by the way, who wrote those commentaries and those translations. Don't even get me started on us preachers with all of our biases, cultures, and feelings. So with all these wibbly-wobbly possibilities, is it actually possible to know the heart and the mind of God? Yes. Yes. You see, if we are willing to surrender to God, If we're willing to listen to his spirit, God promises that he will make himself known to us. Back to our text. A few clarifying questions. Did the disciples tell Jesus Peter's mother-in-law was sick, hoping he would heal her because they were selfish and didn't want to fix their own lunch? Maybe. It's kind of like when a child says, do you see those yummy donuts over there, Dad? I wonder what they taste like. Once she was healed, why did the mother-in-law get up and fix them lunch? Was it because of the culture that she lived in, meaning it was her perceived job, whether we like that or not? Or did she do it out of gratitude? Again, we don't know. Do I know why Jesus healed Peter and Andrew's mother-in-law? No, but I I do know that Jesus had a reason. Jesus always has a reason. And by the way, it wasn't because he was lazy and didn't want to fix his own lunch. I know as a result of Jesus healing this woman, the entire town lined up outside the house, waiting to be healed waiting for demons to be cast out, waiting to be loved by God, waiting to discover God's heart. There's a lot going on here. And if we're looking for Jesus or the disciples or Peter's mother-in-law to go into a long soliloquy about why they did what they did, we're not going to get it. Instead, we are going to have to analyze other stories which give us a peek into their hearts and their motivations. We can ask Google or Siri or Alexa or the preacher down the street, but if we really want to know the answer, God's answer, then it's going to have to be the Holy Spirit that guides and interprets for us. See, the book of Timothy is a letter by St. Paul to a young pastor. Timothy's mom and grandmom, by the way, were some of the very first believers. Paul is helping Timothy figure this whole church and God thing out. And he says, you know, God wants everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Did you hear that? God wants everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. If we know this about God, it helps us understand why God is doing what God is doing. He loves us, and he wants to save us. That is a great place to start. All right, so the liturgical color for the season of Epiphany is green. Green is both ordinary and it's also special. It's ordinary because everything around us is green. Plants, trees, bushes, apples, pears, But green also relaxes people. It's why it's called the green room, that room where people that are about to go on stage sit because it brings a calming, relaxing atmosphere for them. We call the green seasons ordinary time. Epiphany and Pentecost are not so much about God doing miraculous things as they are about God doing those miraculous things through us ordinary people. Now remember, miracles are only miracles because we live in a messed up, sinful world. Miracles are God restoring things to the way things should and will be. The problem is we pay too much attention to all the miracles, not nearly enough attention to the ordinary. Churches are filled at Christmas and Easter, but not so much. When Jesus heals a mother-in-law and she gets up and feeds everybody lunch. You know, the reason the Bible is silent as to whether Jesus healed this woman of malaria, the flu, a common cold, COVID, or chickenpox is because, to be bluntly honest, it doesn't matter. This wasn't about Jesus performing a miracle. It was about returning this woman and her family to the holy ordinary. The holy ordinary is exactly what it sounds like. Ordinary moments that are filled with the holiness of God. They are the moments that flow with grace, like sitting on the beach and watching the sunset, holding your granddaughter for the very first time, enjoying a really good pickle from Timmy T's sandwiches, or just holding the hand of somebody you love. These are moments that are so normal, but they are also holy. And we usually only recognize how holy they are when we're in the midst of them, wishing that they would go on forever. You see, when those moments end and we get caught back up in the unholy, unordinary busyness and chaos of our lives, we wish we could go back to that pickle, that hand, that sunset, holding our granddaughter because those are the moments that we treasure. Today's gospel story is Jesus encouraging us to treasure the ordinary, to laugh at our own self-centeredness, to not take everything so seriously, to see life in all of its wonder, even when it's something so ordinary that we've done it a million times. If we learn to place value on these moments, we really will be the better for it. I love Christmas and Easter, and I love the red Sundays. I love it when God parts the Red Sea, calls down fire from heaven, slays the dragon, and feeds thousands of people with just a couple of rolls and a few fish. You see, I actually do love it when God shows off. And one day in heaven, we will get to see him in all of his glory, and we'll actually never grow tired of him, and he will never run out of things to impress us with. But right now, my infatuation with the ordinary and the miracles and the showstoppers is actually not about God. It's about me. And that is the real problem. You see, Jesus made short work of all the demons who showed up that day, casting them into the abyss. He had no problem healing all other people, no matter what it was they needed to be healed from. Ah, Turns out he healed all the other mother-in-laws and daughters and husbands and sons who lined up. But if we think this story is about healing, about miracles, about God showing off, we're missing the point. Did you hear what Jesus did after he healed all those people and cast out all those demons? He went and took a nap. He got up early the next morning and went off to pray. And when the disciples finally found him, they said, hey, it's time for the show to go on. There's people lined up. And Jesus says, yeah, let's go. After all, this is why I'm here. Jesus did what he did so all those people could get back to their holy, ordinary lives. Next week, Jesus is going to take Peter, James, and John up to the top of a mountain where they get to meet Moses and Elijah. And Peter is so impressed, he says, you know what? We'll build some tents. We'll call for some takeout. We can just stay up here forever. And Jesus says, nope. we got to go back down to the holy ordinary, back among God's people, because that's where ministry takes place. It won't be long before Jesus eats a meal with his disciples, and he goes off to pray, and just as he's saying amen, they show up and they arrest him. There's a kangaroo court, and they immediately convict him of treason, and, well, they sentence him to die, and then they nail him to a cross, and they hang him up there like a piece of meat until he's dead. But in those six hours on the cross, he shows us what a holy, ordinary life is like. He makes sure somebody's going to take care of his mom and the youngest disciple. John was probably not much more than a teenager during this time. He saves a thief at the 11th hour. He forgives the soldiers and the priests and the government, uh, government officials who murdered him. He tells the people to take a deep breath because God's got them and he's not going to let go. And then he dies just like every other human. But not before he changed the world through his death. I mean, whoever thought someone could make such a difference in just a few hours as he was dying? People die all the time, and yet this one death, both ordinary and holy, changes everything. His birth, his death, his life. We tend to remember all the miracles. Those are the days that we pack the churches, all those exciting moments, and yet they are just a small part of his otherwise holy, ordinary days. There's a lesson. In there for us. What would a world be like if everyone stopped to enjoy the holy ordinary? Instead of making a big deal of the extraordinary, the people in places running around waving signs that say, look at me, look at me, I'm special. We instead come to understand because of one man's death on a cross, we are all both ordinary and holy. We are all special. And so is each moment we live. And perhaps especially holy is the moment we die. We breathe, we get sick, we get out of bed and fix lunch for some people. We hold a hand, we watch a sunset, we eat a pickle. And each one of those very ordinary moments becomes a way for God to love us. Yeah, those are ways that God can love us. And then those moments become a way for God to love the world through us. Getting up out of bed and making lunch for a bunch of people may not seem all that holy. But that's because we've forgotten who we are and why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing with all this love and this grace that God has poured into our life that's overflowing and all these minutes and hours that he's given us to live. You see, thanks to Jesus, we got a little reminder of how ordinary and holy every single moment of our life is. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.